The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. We are live from the Bank of England and CNBC headquarters here in London. Let's get into your headlines this hour. The Bank of England takes emergency action, stepping in with a £65 billion bond buying program to restore common markets. This, as the UK's controversial budget comes under scrutiny at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference. I'm worried about what the loss of confidence in the UK represents. It represents the first time we've seen a major developed market in, in a very long time lose confidence from investors. The 10-year Treasury yield drops by the most since 2020 and the S&P 500 snaps a six-day losing streak, but billionaire investor Stanley Druckenmiller warns our US colleagues a deep downturn is still ahead. I will be stunned if we don't have a recession in 23. Don't know the timing, but certainly by the end of 23, I will not be surprised if it's not larger than the so-called average garden variety. In corporate news, Porsche pricing its IPO at the very top of its range, setting up for one of Europe's largest ever listings in Frankfurt today. We're going to speak to the VW and Porsche CEOs, the same person, Oliver Blumer, today at 10.15 CET, first on CNBC. Meanwhile, the EU vows a robust response to any disruption to the energy markets amid continuing claims of sabotage over three leaks in the Nord Stream pipelines. Commission President Ursula von der Leyen also says the bloc won't respect referendum in Ukraine. We do not accept the sham referendum and any kind of annexation in Ukraine. And we're determined to make the Kremlin pay for this further escalation. So a warm welcome to the program this morning. Uh, do stay with us over the next three hours. We've got quite a lot to walk you through. And isn't there a touch of the morning after the night before feel about the markets this morning? As suddenly they remembered that when you've got central banks in the game as another market participant, then the rules can change very quickly. So let's focus on what the Bank of England actually told the markets overnight. The bank effectively now stepping back into the gilt market, launching a £65 billion bond buying programme in a bid to quell the turmoil that we've seen in UK financial markets. The central bank has said it will buy long-dated bonds at a rate of up to £5 billion per day for the next 13 days in order to restore, quote, orderly market conditions. That move marks a historic intervention and comes after the UK government's tax-cutting plans sparked a firestorm in Britain's bond markets and sent the pound sterling hurtling towards parity with the dollar. Well, let's have a uh, just to focus on exactly what the finance ministry has said about this. The uh, 
Treasury basically saying the Bank of England's intervention in the bond market was needed in order to tackle, quote, significant volatility and market dysfunction. It added that any losses incurred would be fully indemnified by the government as it promised to continue to work closely with the central bank to support its financial stability and inflation objectives. And isn't that an interesting word in that statement? Dysfunction. So in a sense, you know, the finance ministry pointing to the markets and saying, well, this is the market's fault. This is all about the market's dysfunction. But ultimately, were the markets doing what markets tend to do, which is point the finger at policy making that they feel is inappropriate or unacceptable given the financial circumstances of the country involved here. And we're talking about the UK, we focused on the trade position. Clearly, the markets have decided that unfunded tax cuts at this stage are inappropriate and the bond market punished the uh, UK by uh, doing what it ultimately did. We had a big, big move in reaction to the uh, announcement from the Bank of England, obviously. Uh, we saw the uh, gilt yields uh, fall as the market then perceived that actually this very large player, the central bank, could get involved and drive yields back down and bring some discipline back to the bond market. So here we are on the curve with the 10-year gilt back at around 4%. In terms of sterling, well, we saw a little bit of stabilization for the pound as well. We're currently back at one spot zero eight, uh, somewhat uh, firmer than the 103 uh, that we got to in the eye of the storm here. Uh, but let's get more on this with uh, Jamana, who is down at the Bank of England for us this morning. Little chilly down there, Jamana. Apologies for that. I think we're about five, six degrees there. Um, but no doubt um, the kind of uh, chill that fell over the Treasury yesterday and the Bank of England as it had to figure out how it should respond to these market moves. So is this job done, Jamana? Have we, have we actually bounced here and will we continue to see yields fall and the pound strengthen? I think that is what the Bank of England are hoping, but I would say probably not, Jeff, because let's just go back to the statement that they released back on Monday. This was a statement released by the MPC, that is the committee in the Bank of England that actually takes monetary policy decisions. They said, look, we're watching market developments very, very closely. We will not fail to act if we need be, uh, but that they are going to defer that decision to that November 3rd scheduled Bank of England meeting, at which time we spoke about it a couple of days ago. The market started pricing in the possibility of even a 150, 175 basis point hike at that November 3rd meeting. So that was a statement put out by the MPC committee specifically in response to all of the pressures that were coming on, namely on the currency and, of course, the gilt market movement. So 24 hours later, uh, we had that statement come out from the IMF, also sending a warning shot to the UK, saying that they're very uncomfortable with uh, the fiscal policy stance that the government has taken. Further sell-off in gilts ensues. And then yesterday we get a statement by the Bank of England, but this time not from the MPC committee, which is the Monetary Policy Committee, but from the FPC committee, that is the Financial Policy Committee. 
And I think the distinction here is very important because the latter, the FPC, their mandate is to focus on financial stability concerns. And what they saw happening in the gilt market for them was very, very destabilizing. They did not like the pickup in volatility. They did not like the illiquidity. They didn't like the fact that gilts, in the space of two trading sessions, pretty much halved in price value. You had some of the long-dated gilts in the UK trading at 25 cents to the dollar. This isn't Argentina or an emerging market that we're talking about. You're talking about the UK. So the value of these bonds had dropped so dramatically and in such a fast, quick amount of time that they had to do something about it. And the reason they had to do it is because a lot of these bonds are actually owned by the UK pension fund community. And I can go into a little bit more detail here, but essentially because the pension funds have these longer dated liabilities, we know that they're going to be giving out payments at some point in the future, 20 year, 30 year, 40 year. What they do is they come in and try to hedge those liabilities by matching it with assets of similar duration. These pension funds come in and they'll buy up the long end of the UK market. They have about 1.5 trillion pounds worth of assets, one trillion of which are invested into the gilts and the corporate bond market. So if you were a pension fund holding all these gilts that suddenly halved in value, well, what happened? The value of your assets got cut. All of a sudden, you had a mismatch between what you had on your asset side, your liability side. You started getting margin calls from some of the dealers that you were speaking with. You had to start posting more cash. Where are you going to get that cash from? Well, the easiest thing to sell are the gilts that you own. So it became sort of this negative feedback loop. And the Bank of England's Financial Policy Committee saw that happening and thought, OK, we have to do something about this, about this so it doesn't keep continuing. That's the reason they came out with this announcement yesterday, which was very bizarre because the MPC committee had already said that they're committed to asset sales of up to 80 billion pounds a year annually. Two days later, you have the FPC committee coming in and saying we will buy up to 65 billion pounds worth of gilts in about two weeks until October 14. So uh, the two are, are, are sort of working against each other. But I guess the F FPC would say that they had to intervene at this point because the markets were getting really into a, a disorderly state. But you know, let's just take a step back here. We have a couple of things going on. We have the weakness of the pound. We have a very he high headline inflation level. You've got wage pressure still running at six percentage point. You have international pressure building up on UK assets, and you have disorderly moves in the long end of the curve as well, which all means that the pressure is on the Bank of England to do something at a time when the government are delivering such a loose fiscal policy stance. And I've spoken to a lot of people in the last couple of days, and they say to me, up until Friday, yes, there was certainly a bit more of a risk premium associated with the UK, but it wasn't disorderly. After that budget came out on Friday and we saw the, the mayhem unleashed at the long end of the UK curve, uh, this, this is when things really started to become alarming. And just one thing I want to add is, you know, the UK Treasury so far don't seem to be taking any responsibility for this. I, I just want to play some sound that we had out of the Treasury Minister Andrew Griffith yesterday in response to uh, some comments directed at them that they may have been responsible for the fallout we've seen. We both know that we're seeing the same impacts of Putin's war in Ukraine cascading through things like the cost of energy, uh, some of the supply side implications of that, and that's impacting every major economy. And just the same, every major economy, you're seeing interest rates going up as well. Every major economy is dealing with exactly these same issues. 
So essentially you need two things, either the government to sort of lay out their fiscal plans and how they're going to bring debt to GDP back in again, that will likely happen at the November 23rd budget, or, and we need the Bank of England to go a lot more aggressive on the rate hikes at the November 3rd meeting. The trade-off, of course, being that it will come at the expense of growth. Um, thank you for that, Shimon, and, and thanks for the team. As Jeff said, it's, it's a bit nippy out there. I had two and a half degrees in the car this morning. So uh, it's, it's that is winter is coming yes, in many is. ways. Yes, it is. Um, can I just say how disingenuous Andrew Griffiths is? And I know that's echoing yeah. what um, Jumana just said. This is a man who I have a lot of respect for when he worked for one of our sister companies, actually, Sky, mm. and did a brilliant job at Sky for many years. Now he's defending the indefensible. Basically, to cut a long story short from what Jumana was saying there as well, and I'm paraphrasing, the government's not taking responsibility for this. It's saying it's a global phenomenon. And there is absolutely, and this is the problem, of all great lies, there is a kernel of truth, i.e. the fact of the matter is, yes, there is a global phenomenon going on. There is no doubt about it. Bonds are selling off aggressively. There is no doubt about it that the dollar is preeminent and moving up aggressively in terms of the trend we've seen over recent times because of the rate scenario, because of the reserve currency status, because other currencies aren't supporting with higher interest rates as much as and that is affecting bond markets globally in the coming off there is absolutely a lot of truth in what he's saying but the bit where he leaps over into the fantasy is we're saying well there's nothing particular going on in the united kingdom of course there's something particular going on in the united kingdom the king in fact i'll tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to in a second i'm going to play you some sound from our headlines again and i'm playing it again but good sound is good sound because the fact of the matter is the uk is very very specific in what it's doing because in the naivety of this government and the arrogance of this government they didn't warn any Anyone, what they were about to do uh, on multiple fronts as well. Had they actually prepared the markets like a lot of people do when they're going to make big announcements, perhaps the reaction wouldn't have been quite so volatile. And perhaps if they'd have given us the OBR projections for, which is the Office of Budget Responsibility, for how this is going to be paid for, then perhaps the market wouldn't have taken fright. But what I want to do briefly is play, play just again this Ken Griffin bite from the headlines. I know that, have you got it, team? Have you got it? Brilliant. Can we go for it? I'm worried about what the loss of confidence in the UK represents. It represents the first time we've seen a major developed market in, in a very long time lose confidence from investors. And I thought that was a brilliant piece of sound from a brilliant event going on in the States of CNBC. Why is it so brilliant? I'll tell you why. Because he says it's the first time that we've seen a major developed market in a very long time lose confidence from investors. Well, it's kind of true what he's saying, but actually there is another part to it. I'm not going to disagree with the great Ken Griffin, but I'm going to add something. The only reason that a major market hasn't lost confidence beforehand is because the howitzers that are behind those other major markets, the US, the most mighty currency on the planet. You, if you see a run on the uh, reserve currency of the world, then we're in a different kettle of fish. So the US has ammo, masses of ammo. The yen, the yen has lost a little bit of confidence, but the fact is the Japanese bond market hasn't because the BOJ is buying everything, the bank of everything. And they've said, we will not move beyond 0.25% on, on our bond yield as well. And we'll buy just about every asset in sight uh, to defend that as well. So you've got the dollar and the yen protected. And then you've got the ECB. Well, for the last 10 years, whether it's Draghi, whether it's Lagarde, we know the form here. There is a massive backstop coming from the, uh, the Bundesbank. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say Bundesbank? I meant the ECB, but you know what I'm saying. There is a massive backstop. So you've got the other three major currencies of the globe as well with enormous howitzer backstops. Uh, and the arrogance of the British this time around, the government, is actually told, well, we're going to do this uh, and we're going to sell gilts at the same time because they forgot that there was a QT process going on. So 
Ken Griffin is right, but there is a major reason or set of reasons why this hasn't happened to others because they have actually either warned the market or told the market to back off. The British didn't think they could do that. We are back to a timeline to me that is questionable. I mean, we were heading towards the exit. And what did we have yesterday from the Bank of England? We had a whatever it takes type of moment. For me, the language was just extraordinary. There was so much in the first uh, headline numbers that crossed. But they, these, these lines were financial crisis era S to me, talking about risk to financial stability uh, from dysfunction in the gilt market to restore orderly market conditions. I mean, this took me right back to 2008. And as we talk about exiting, that is not the sort of language you expect to see. The other point, if we go back over history as well, is that we've had a taper tantrum before. You think back to when the Fed tried a, a dual track process to lift interest rates and also to extract itself from bond purchases. We had a wobble then as well. And I wonder whether we've got elements of that just happening, not in the Fed, not in the, in the United States, but in other markets now, which is why you're getting this intervention. The point around the cause of the situation, I think that's a problem. You've not got people owning up to the cause. You've got the government or at least parts of the government in denial as to their role here. Uh, and then you've got uh, the central bank stepping in, some saying also in denial that it didn't go with the 50, uh, 75 basis points the market had wanted, that it wasn't aggressive enough in pushing back. So if we can't agree on the cause, how do we fix the problem, for starters? Don't we need to see some change in the government approach that they've come up with the measure? Fair enough, it might be their strategy, but you've got to find a way to cost it. So are we going to see that in the next couple of weeks? And to me, there are two key points now as we cross through to October. The 15th of October, the day after we stop this window of interventions, what happens on that day? Are the speculators going to mount another challenge again? And then at the end of the month, on the 31st of October, when it's meant to resume those uh, the taper program, will it be able to? It may not be able to proceed as it had planned. So for me, there are a number of question marks from here. I mean, just knitting together what both of you have said, I think. Um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Mark Carney hasn't been the governor of the Bank of England since 2013. And a lot of people that felt that maybe Mark Carney's communication uh, to the markets sometimes was rather off and he got a reputation for being the unreliable boyfriend. But the one thing that he did say, which um, plays to your point, is that the UK lives on the kindness of strangers. And what he meant by that was that the UK for a long time actually has had a balance of trade position that was not attractive. And even as there was um, obviously a, a positive book for services, it was a very negative book in terms of manufacturing. And ultimately, the gap was constantly being filled by the government going to the bond market and expecting foreigners to subsidise the UK and its spendthrift ways. So that chicken is coming home to roost here because what we're realising is that the markets have been very closely watching the UK's fiscal position and they don't like what they've seen and they've punished the UK as a result of that with the discipline that only financial markets can bring. But bringing in your point, I think what we saw in terms of the reaction in the United States yesterday was fascinating because this was a UK story mm. and yet it was enough to give you 500 points on the Dow and a, an immediate drop on the Treasury yields in the United States. And what, and, that told you, well. and what that told you was that the markets won and they forced a central bank onto the back foot. And it's now the Fed that is really the target here. Even as we continue to talk about this Bank of England story and we will follow this story all the way through, the markets got what they wanted. They forced a central bank to blink. The Bank of England has now 
retracted on its QT strategy effectively with this announcement. Next, we'll be looking at the Fed. Are we getting to a point now where the Fed has to acknowledge, as we pressed Charles Evans on when he was here earlier in the week, has the Fed got to acknowledge that it is breaking things now and the action that it's taking um, is affecting uh, liquidity in the global economy? And ultimately, there are going to be more stories like this. And it's not going to be about the United States. It's going to be about other countries, but it will be the result of the actions of the Federal Reserve. So are we getting to a point here now where actually, even though the market has abandoned the idea of a pivot, we might start to see that story come back front and center as the market begins to think, well, actually, maybe the Fed, the granddaddy of the central banks, will pause as it reflects on what the consequences of the actions are that it's taking around the world. It's treacherous territory, isn't it, as you talk about the responses from other central banks. We saw yesterday a very apt, a very sophisticated central bank come up with a strategy. It tried the first uh, stepping verbal intervention. That didn't work. And then it came out with what was uh, a very sophisticated policy in, in some ways. Other central banks not, may not I, I, be as capable. I mean, I if you think about all the... I with you. Uh, well, if I may, well, just well, polite, what's, what's sophisticated about saying you're, you're selling off the asset which we need um, to have at a stable level in order to stabilise our pension and financial industry. Uh, hence, we will stop our selling of that as well and we'll start buying it. I don't think that's that sophisticated. Well, if you think about the other options at its disposal, interest rates with an out-of-cycle well, that's, that's happen as well. meeting, I mean, that would have sent panic through the markets even more potentially. Why? And we know that you can't aggressively lift interest rates when you've Why? got other central banks with more firepower at this point. I mean, it would have been a losing game to have moved on interest rates Why? in some ways. I for well, the, for I mean, the reasons it, 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 I just mentioned, that you've got a central bank in the United States that is clearly able to put up interest on. rates much more than the Bank of England here. Why? So Because you've got an economy that's growing much faster than what you've got growing here. There isn't the ability to lift rates at the same uh, pace. I mean, we know the terminal rate is going to be much higher in the United States than it will be here. So you're we, running faster. What's the terminal rate going to be in the United States compared to the UK? Well, We're we talking about 7% interest rate in the UK now as opposed to the terminal <laughs> rate in the US of 4.75, Karen. And I think we, there are question marks over that. But, but, no, but seriously, I'm asking you, why, why can't they raise rates? Well, if you raise rates, you tank the economy, you go deeper into recession. But I mean, that's the clear but, argument. But, 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 I mean, you need you to tame inflation first. You can have a lot of people first. talking about interest rates what do you going think, up, what do you think out if you talk about reality, inflation? they're not actually going to go up that Goldman's far, are they? Goldman's and Citigroup think we're going to get inflation of between 18 and 21%. Why do you think that actually not raising rates is going to tank the economy less than actually if you put rates up and you tame the inflation issues. Yeah, I think if we had central banks, a central bank here that really thought that it was necessary to ward off inflation to that extent, we would have had much sizable, more sizable moves than what we've had already. I mean, 50 basis points, they're arguing between 50 and 75 basis points at the last meeting. The, the scenario that you're spelling Karen. out, the banks are selling out, then we would have had 100, would have had one, one point, uh, but you, 125. But just back to your terminal rate, do you think the UK terminal rate now is going to be lower than the US? Is that what you think? I think it's still a potential given the growth story. What do you think the terminal rate in the UK is going to be now? Well, this is the question mark. Where do terminal rates end up? But I don't think that at this point we are talking about an economy that can sustain more aggressive rate hikes than the United States. Does anyone disagree with that? I, I think the global economy is in a lot of trouble broadly because of something I've been mentioning for anyway, about we're, we're 15 years. We're getting bogged down in, in a point that I don't think is as relevant as the other points I wanted well, to make. Why did you make it then? Well, the, no, because you dragged me into the d debate on this particular point. The other point I wanted to make was currency intervention. You said the key which, is terminal rates, so I followed you on terminal rates. The other points I wanted to make was that effectively foreign exchange was another tool that could have been tackled, and we've seen issues there in the past. So if you look at the, the various different tools, I felt as though the one that they went with yesterday was the one that perhaps they could get more mileage out of. Other central banks, my broader point was that what do other central banks do at this particular juncture? They are facing similar 
strains in their own economies and it does take you down the pathway of policy error potentially for another economy, which brings us back to a broader crisis that could come from somewhere across the globe. Um, I think what we're, we're all talking about here is actually the lack of visibility that everybody has in the global economy at the moment. I mean, the central banks have given us a path, but that path has clearly changed for the Bank of England. The, whether the dot plot now has to move uh, as far as the Federal Reserve is concerned or not, we'll have to wait and see. And I just need to correct myself. Um, I was talking about uh, the first term when he made those comments. Obviously, he had a second term um, and left the bank in 2020. So let me just make that clear in case you were thinking, no, no, he was there a lot longer than that before Andrew Bailey came in, uh, became the new governor of the Bank of England. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Still to come, uh, CNBC once again brings together some of the biggest names in finance for the Delivering Alpha conference with the prospects for a recession dominating proceedings. We're going to talk about what we heard at that event in just a moment. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. U.S. Treasury or Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyemo says the Biden government is well positioned to bring down inflation. Adeyemo told the Delivering Alpha conference that America's economy has a structural advantage. Ultimately, our goal has to be to take steps to bring down inflation in the economy. The president said that's our top goal and that's where we're focused. But as well as bringing down inflation, we need to make the needed investments in America to make sure that our economy is competitive into the future. You look around the world today, and you see where the United States is positioned in terms of our, the strength of our labor market and also the strength of our underlying economy. Top investors gathered at the Delivering Alpha Summit in New York and told CNBC that managing inflation is a top priority. Nobody who runs a company thinks that salary increases are transitory. There's no such thing. So this, is, this inflation is here to stay. And uh, as, as people who are focused on everything to do with Fed moves around the world. The Fed is not going to stop until real rates are positive. We should continue on the path that we're on to ensure that we re-anchor inflation expectations. There's a psychological component to inflation that we need to make sure that our country doesn't start to assume that we should expect 5 or 6 or 7% inflation because once you expect it, broadly enough, it becomes reality. As that trade-off between inflation and employment becomes much more visible, um, it may be tougher for them to follow through. But for the time being, uh, we don't think it makes a lot of sense to uh, bet against the Fed's commitment to getting inflation under control at, at this point. They made a big mistake. Um, they seem to have owned it. Uh, but. It's easy to own it when employment is strong. Let's see what happens if we get a hard landing. I just hope they stick to their guns because this stuff was terrible in the 70s. You have to slay the dragon. And the chair is right. You're probably going to have some pain. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.